Doctor Who is a British television show that's been on for about 45 years. And the main character, Doctor Who, he's from another planet, um, and, uh, but he has a special spot in his heart for planet Earth and the human race. Um, he's a time lord, the race of the time lords, so he's able to travel through time and space. He's kind of crazy and wild, he's a genius, he's unpredictable, and he's thousands of years old. He also, unlike us as human beings, he has two hearts. And every so often in the series, when they, it seems to line up when they change actors for some reason, the good plot writing, uh, he, he regenerates, he becomes a totally new person, he undergoes this process and he becomes a completely new person with a new body, and a new appearance, a new personality, and everything. Wouldn't that be nice to just sometimes just regenerate? Just, just become something totally different if you get frustrated with your life, frustrated with what's going on, your, the struggles you have, just to kind of be regenerated, start over, become something completely different and new. You know, the heart is a mysterious, confounding thing, isn't it? We're looking at the topic of the heart. How do we become regenerated? Blaise Pascal said the heart has reasons that reason cannot know. Robert Vallett stated the heart feels things that the eye cannot see and knows what the mind cannot understand. If you watch any sort of romantic comedy that comes out of Hollywood, often at some point there's a turning point and they say, follow your heart. But... The heart often leads us astray, doesn't it? The human heart, the physical heart, this organ we have inside our body, it's about the size of a fist, um, 10 to 12 ounces in a man, 8 to 10 ounces in a woman. It beats around 100,000 times a day. It pumps blood. It has electrical impulses. It's an amazing organ, about 10 inches or so beneath, right in here somewhere. Without the heart functioning, we know that life ceases to exist. But when we think of the heart, we speak of the heart often as being more than this physical organ, as amazing as it is inside our body. We say things like, put your heart into it, meaning give your best effort. Go all in. Or we say things like her heart isn't in it, describing a situation where a person isn't motivated and not really invested or engaged in what's happening, don't really believe in what's being done. When a relationship ends and people are grieving, we describe them as brokenhearted. And when two people come together and give themselves to each other, we say they, they give their hearts to each other. Their, in other words, their, their lives, their, 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 their commitments, their, their time, they give their lives to each other, their trust, their loyalty. But what does the Bible have to say about the heart? Well, the Bible's use of the word heart most closely means center or core, this idea that in, in, in the inner center of who we are, the inner being, the inner, the inner person, um, the seat of our personality, our emotions, our, our thoughts, um, what makes us who we are, our will. Basically, in a nutshell, your heart biblically is who you are. That's why the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That's also why the prophet Jeremiah speaks to how and why, why we must guard our hearts when he says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. 
And we look around the world and we see the nature of what's going on. We look at our own lives at times and say, yeah. So in other words, sometimes we, we do things we don't understand and we, we, we can't stop ourselves, it seems, sometimes from feeling certain things that we don't want to feel and know we should not feel. And we don't often know our motives and motivations. Basically, the human condition where the heart is consistently and constantly misleading, confusing, or betraying us, it shows us that the heart is really something that can't be fixed. So what are we to do? What are we to do about our hearts? Well, today we are continuing our fall sermon series as we work our way through um, the Old Testament prophets. We're doing this immersed Bible reading together. And this is week seven. We're starting week seven. And today we're coming to the Old Testament prophet of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, he was a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. Their, their, their prophesying careers or callings, they overlap some. And Ezekiel is speaking from exile in Babylon. And if you look at his message and you see it in the other prophets, most of them, there's these three elements that are in their messages. The first is the people of Israel, the people of God, have sinned greatly. They've rebelled against God. They're worshiping false idols. Uh, they are... They are ignoring justice and taking advantage of the most vulnerable in, the, in, in, their, in their people. Um, they are practicing worship, which is empty and hypocritical. And God sends them warnings, but they ignore them. And because of this, finally, God's patience has run thin, worn thin, and he says, judgment is coming. And it does. The second part of these prophecies uh, is somewhat similar. The people, the surrounding nations, the countries around them, they, they also are guilty of the same things. And so God sends judgment upon them. But in the midst of these, these messages, there's also a third string, and that is that God is sending hope. That God will bring his people out of exile, that he will restore them, he'll forgive them, he'll redeem them, he'll be gracious, he will be their God, and they will be his people. And it's not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, not because they're manipulating God into doing this, not because they've begged so much. It's done, God says, simply because to show the world my character. For the sake of my name and my glory, I will do this. So what does this have to say about the heart? Let's pick it up. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. And let's read this together. Let's follow along. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am their God that I am the, God, the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people, and I will be your God. 
Do you hear what the Lord says? I will give you a new heart, a tender, responsive heart. Sort of like what happens with Doctor Who, but, in, but it's real, and it's much more profound and deep and lasting and, and significant. There's this regeneration that's going to happen. God says through Ezekiel, I'm going to regenerate the hearts of the people of Israel. Now, when a person becomes a follower of Christ, a believer, the, the Bible teaches us that we become a new person. We're not just cleaned up, made more presentable to God. We become a new person, something entirely different and distinct than what we were before. This is what we mean by regeneration. In Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we become something new, a new person. And there are several ways in which regeneration is pictured in the Bible. One picture is of washing, being washed clean. It's symbolized in baptism, isn't it? We're washed clean. Paul says to Titus, God saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So it's not the water that makes us clean. It's the Holy Spirit who regenerates and renews us. And so before we become a follower of Christ, we, the Bible says we're unclean, unclean lives, unclean hearts, unclean consciences. And there's nothing we can seem to do about it. But in regeneration, God washes us clean from the inside out. We're not just, again, washed up from the outside, made look better, more presentable. We're washed and regenerated from the inside out. Another well-known picture of regeneration is new birth or being born again. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. And Jesus most famously uses this picture of regeneration in John 3. When Nicodemus comes to him, Jesus tells Nicodemus, Look, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he or she is born again. So when we put our trust in Christ, in reality, we become something new, a new person. Paul echoes this thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The old, broken down, hopeless me or you, the one that struggles with this or that, not doing what we should do, doing what we shouldn't, it's, it's thrown away. And God makes us something brand new in Christ, a, a new creation, a new person. Another dramatic picture that Paul uses about regeneration is that of death and life, of crucifixion and resurrection. Paul writes, we were buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, have a new life. These are just a few of the pictures that are used in the New Testament about what it means to be regenerated, to, to become something new. The change that happens inside of a person when they put their trust in Christ. But it's not only in the New Testament. We see it here in Ezekiel 36, where regeneration, there's this picture of a, of a heart transplant. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart 
and give you a tender, responsive heart. Isn't that what we want? A heart that is tender and responsive to God? You know, the first medical transplant, if I did my research correctly, was performed about a little over 40 years ago. But God's promise of a spiritual heart transplant was made over two and a half thousand years ago through Ezekiel. And for a successful heart transplant, what do you need? You need three things. You need a diagnosis. This needs to be done. You need a doctor who's capable of doing the operation. And you need a donor. So first, the diagnosis. The diagnosis in verse 26 is that we as human beings, we have a serious terminal problem. Our hearts are just naturally inclined away from God. Rebellious, stubborn, full of pride, self-centered, or whatever it might be. And the word heart here, it's linked with spirit. And often in the Bible, these two words are interchangeable. Like when, when King David in Psalm 51, he, he prays this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He's not, he's not asking for two separate things, a clean heart and a right spirit, but one thing. He wants to be completely clean on the inside. And he knows that only God can do it. So that the heart... It it sums up our whole being, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, who we are. And so when the Bible diagnoses that our hearts are stony and stubborn, we have a serious problem. Now, if our physical hearts were made of stone, we'd be dead, right? Stone cold dead. And that's the point of of the picture here, the imagery. Towards God, we are by nature stone cold dead spiritually. We don't naturally love him. We don't naturally believe in him. We don't naturally obey him. We don't naturally delight in him. That's, that's just the way that we are born. That's, none of us are born with a heart that is alive and responsive towards God. I mean, ever since sin entered the world, we have this defect that we've inherited that leaves us with this heart problem. And the diagnosis is that we have a heart that is cold and unresponsive and dead toward God. Because remember what Jeremiah said? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So our heart condition cannot be cured. We cannot make ourselves alive to God. You know, there, we, we try, don't we? I mean, there are all sorts of books about spirituality, all sorts of uh, religious uh, teachers uh, tell us to do this and that, become more self-fulfilled and and more enlightened, uh, all sorts of things we try, but it's missing the point. It's missing the point. Because, you know, religion is the opposite of the gospel. Religion is saying, I give God a good life and God rewards me. The gospel, the good news of God is, God through Jesus Christ gives me a a perfect record. He washes me clean. He makes me a new creation. Religion is outside in. I clean up my life. I make myself more presentable. If I live a good life, God will come and bless me. But the gospel is inside out. We become something new when we put our trust in Christ. 
So our problem is so serious, there's only one hope and one treatment. We need a heart transplant. We need to have our sinful, old, stony, stubborn hearts removed and replaced with a new, living, beating heart that seeks to honor God. That's what regeneration is. It's what God, through Ezekiel, promises. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will take from you your stony, stubborn heart. So that's the diagnosis. We need a diagnosis. We need a heart transfer. How do we get one? That's where the doctor comes in. Now, there's a lot of things that if you're a trained physician, you can do for yourself. You can take blood. You can do this. You can give yourself medication. There are certain things you can do. Um, but open heart surgery is not something you can perform on yourself. Open heart surgery is only something that can be done to us by somebody outside of us when things are totally out of our control, we have to surrender to that person and trust them that they have skills and training equipment that can get the job done. In the same way, there's no way I can carry out a spiritual heart transplant. I can never make myself a Christian. I can call myself a Christian. I might act like a Christian. I might even believe that I'm a Christian. But unless God, the great physician, has actually performed heart surgery on me, I am not. And so, so we need a doctor who can perform this transplant. And God promises that he will and can. And this promise, it begins, it comes at the end of several I will statements, several I promise, basically promises God makes to his people. He says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. I will put my spirit in you. I will be your God. You will be my people. These are God's promises to his people. And remember, the people of Israel at this time, God's people, they're at their lowest point pretty much in the Old Testament. They've ignored repeated warnings. They've engaged in all sorts of disobedience and idolatry. They've been taken out of their land. They've lost access to the temple. He's given them over to another foreign power. There's nothing they can do to save themselves. But God, to his broken people, he promises restoration. And more than that, he promises regeneration. A new start, new hearts, a new spirit. You'll be my people. I will be your God. So we've got a diagnosis and we've got a doctor. The final missing piece is we need a donor. Where will we get this living, beating heart? Who will it come from? Well, there's only one man ever who ever walked this earth who did not suffer with the birth defect of a heart inclined to disobey God. Only Jesus had a heart that was alive to God from the very beginning of his life to the very end of his life. And, and when you think about it, when a medical heart transplant is done, we know that there must have been a death. There always has to be a death. The donor gives life to another at the expense of his or her own life, usually in tragic circumstances. So it is with a spiritual heart transplant. The donor has to die. Jesus voluntarily died so that we might have life. And his sacrifice and his life and his heart, it is sufficient to save any and all who trust in him, 
who agree with the diagnosis, who asked the great physician to do the operation, who received the gifts of the donor, a new heart, a new spirit, and a new life. Regeneration. That's one way to understand what Jesus did first on the cross. He dies for us and rises again so that we can have a new heart, a new spirit, and a new life. But unless this heart transplant has taken place, we're, we can't call ourselves Christian. We're not followers of Jesus because that is essential for that to happen. So here's my appeal to you. Have you had that heart transplant? Have you let Jesus, have you let God take from you your heart of stone, the stubborn heart, disinclined to obey God, and given you a new heart, a heart of flesh, soft and tender and receptive and responsive? Basically, in a nutshell, has your heart been made new? And you only need one spiritual heart transplant. If it's been done, it will not fail. Now, let's be honest, it might always seem like it's not taking because we struggle. We struggle in, in, in these, 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 these um, limited, sinful bodies. We struggle because the process of becoming more like Jesus is not going to be complete until we meet him again. But if we put our trust in Christ, that day will come and that will happen. You know, earlier on in Ezekiel, God urges his people with these words, rid yourselves of all the offenses, all the sins you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? He's asking you me the same question. Why will you die? Why won't you come to me for a new heart and a new spirit and live? Now, it's not required that we be good to do this. You know, in the, in the medical world, I mean, if you're, if you have certain criteria you have to meet to get a transplant. You, you have to be strong enough or healthy enough to get the transplant. You have to have a, a you know, long-term prognosis good enough to get the transplant. That there's a chance of success. But, but spiritually, we don't need any of that. We don't have to be good or better than the average person. I mean, the Israelites were not. They knew better, and they deliberately, intensely walked away from God and rebelled against him. It is the spiritually sick, which is all of us, who need this transplant. You don't need to be good. You just have to be willing and responsive and ready. I mean, if you were in the doctor's office tomorrow and they said, hey, uh, got some bad news. Your heart, it is riddled with disease, and you're going to die soon. But the good news is we have a perfect replacement. It's available, and we can do it now. Would you agree to it? You're going to say, yes, sign me up. Do it now as soon as possible. Well, the, the donor heart is available for you. And the great physician is waiting to perform the operation do you agree with the diagnosis? Will you come to him for a new heart, a new spirit, receive life, and become a new person in him? Let's pray.
Lord, I, we thank you for the gift of Jesus' life for us. We thank you for the offer of a new heart, a new life, a new spirit. Lord, we come to you and we, we agree with the diagnosis. We are lost without you. We are stubborn people with stony, rebellious hearts. Lord, we believe that you are the great physician, that only you can do what's needed to save us and give us life. Lord, we thank you that Jesus willingly gave his life so that we could be, so that we could be made new and regenerated and come alive spiritually in him. Lord, I pray for any who hear my voice that have not yet received a new heart, a new spirit from you, who have not been born again in you. Lord, I pray that your spirit will tug on their hearts, that they will come to you now, that they will put their trust in Jesus, and that they will be made new. In Jesus' name, amen.